then wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. One can make me whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Last week, you know, we looked at the head, we looked at the mindset that we need to have if we're going to have Jesus' point of view and perspective on money and possessions. And we saw last week that we were created to have this, as I told you before, this abundance mindset, that God is a good host, that from the first page of the Bible, God is shown to be a good host who provides everything that his creatures need, and that this mindset, when we adopt it, and, and reject the scarcity mindset that we default to. When, when we adopt this biblical and uh, abundance mindset, the, what, the, the product of that is both thanksgiving and contentment. That I can walk through all of life with a posture of thanksgiving and praise because I see all of life as a gift from God, which, which produces in me this, this deep and settled contentment, which actually is something that all of us deeply desires. And I believe it's something that all of us, yeah, probably all of us lack. Now, I want to look at what I believe is one of the biggest reasons that we find it difficult to obtain that abundance mindset. What are the forces at play in the world that are preventing us from living that settled, thankful, content abundance mindset. And what I want to do is begin by just taking you on a history of the last 100 years of Western civilization. And I believe in doing this, we will see that uh, in order for us to obtain this abundance mindset, God is going to have to do a miraculous work in this room this morning. In, in, In order to loose us from forces that are far more powerful than we can reckon with. Those forces are at work in manifold and manifest ways in every day of our lives through marketing and advertising. The cultivation of the scarcity mindset which fuels the economy of the West is what we're up against this morning. And so I want to give us just a little insight into how this came to be, and then Jesus can show us the way out of it, the way out of bondage to consumerism into the freedom of the kingdom of God, all right? We've got nothing less than that in front of us here this morning. God help us, all right? So here's, here's a potted history of the last hundred years of advertising, marketing, and and the reason why we find ourselves where we are. Everything I know about this, just about, I learned from five or six books, which I'm happy to share with you, or, if reading's not your thing, from a documentary that you can find online for free. It was put together by the BBC. It goes for about three hours and I think it was put together in the early 90s. It was, it's called The Century of the Self. And if you want your, your mind to be blown, then look it up this afternoon. While you guys are having a bit of downtime, go ahead and begin at least watching that documentary. You'll see that in that documentary, it, it, it kind of charts uh, the last couple of, uh, the last hundred years um, of 
advertising, of marketing, by looking, first of all, at the work of Sigmund Freud. So most of you know that name, Sigmund Freud, the famous psychoanalyst. Um, he was the first, really, to discover, or at least to, um, to expose us to the idea that we are not what we think we are, all right? What we think we are when we think of ourselves, we think we are logical, um, uh, predictable, uh, autonomous beings. We think that we see a need and then fill a need. And what Freud revealed to us was that humans, both individually and at the group level, hardly do anything because of logical impulses, right? logical thought processes. We actually, in fact, are driven by a whole bunch of irrational and unconscious drives. And you don't want to take everything Freud says and swallow it whole, because some of it is bonkers, all right? But I think on this point, he, he had a point. And, um, and so about 100 years ago, he starts looking into this, that during World War II, the Nazis took a hold of this a way of understanding human behavior and leveraged it very, very powerfully in their campaigns of propaganda. So in order to get the German populace to believe that the Jews were an enemy, to believe that the other free nations around them were enemies to be conquered, they leveraged this idea that people can be en masse controlled by appealing to these unconscious drives. They based it mainly around fear, all right, very powerful, unconscious, subconscious drive, and they leveraged it by, by way of propaganda. We often look back at the uh, atrocities of World War II and think, how could these people have done this? We would never have done that. And, and in, in doing that, we reveal that we don't know ourselves. We reveal what Sigmund Freud said to be true. That is, that if we were Germans in 1940, the fact is that almost every single one of us would have done exactly what they did. It is the very extremely rare person who stood up against the regime. Most people went along with it, and most of us would have gone along with it because we are driven by these unconscious drives and they were being masterfully, brilliantly appealed to in the propaganda of uh, the Nazis. So. At the same time that this is going on in Germany, the uh, Free West was employing some of the same tactics. And so, actually, in the USA, um, a guy named Edward Bernays was being used by the US government to shape public opinion about uh, politics as well. And the interesting thing is that Edward Bernays is actually Sigmund Freud's nephew. All right, so he knows his uncle Siggy is um, coming up with all this information that's making the Nazis do really well in the war, shaping public opinion, turning them against the Jews and the nations around them. And so he takes the same kind of thinking and uses it for um, the US uh, national cause. And he had such an effect in shaping the popular opinion of US citizens that when the war was won, uh, at the signing of the peace accord, Edward, Edward Bernays is present there with the officials of the US government. He was so important, so vital in shaping the collective consciousness of the people of America. And he named that 
process, that system for shaping the ideas of the masses, he coined the phrase and, and named it public relations. All right? So he invents PR for the purpose of shaping the, the, the kind of collective consciousness of a nation, shaping their opinions about, um, uh, about the politics of the day. After the war, he realises, if you can do that in wartime, there's no reason why you can't do it in peacetime as well. And so he continues his work for the government, essentially the work of propaganda, getting the US uh, people as a nation to believe whatever he wanted them to believe about this particular uh, political party and its policies. And then he realises, after a little while, this is good, this is working, but, I, but there's not a lot of money in shaping political opinion. I could earn a whole lot more money if I was shaping economics. I could earn a whole lot more money if I was shaping the way people spend their money. And so he shifts from being a political advisor to being an advertising advisor. He, sh he shifts his and, and, and puts his incredible intellect into making money for himself, essentially. Now, here's the way he does it. It's, and if you have any interest in advertising, this is interesting, all right? 100 years ago, advertising was very different than it is today. 100 years ago, advertising was um, employed logic in order to get you to buy something. So, if you look at advertising from 100 years ago, for example, there's a Coca-Cola advertisement from 100 years ago that says, um, are you feeling tired? Coca-Cola invigorates you, so buy Coke, right? It's a very logical message. You are tired, you should be invigorated. Uh, or it could be for a car, um, do you need a car? This car is reliable, right? That's the kind of advertising messages that were being produced. Edward Bernays recognised that while those messages are, are kind of moderately effective, they're very limiting. That is, those advertisements only get you to buy something if you need something. He discovered that if he could get you to buy what you want instead of what you need, you, they could make a whole lot more money. And so using his uncle's theory about these unconscious drives, rather than thinking, I'm going to appeal to the logic of the masses, he thought, why don't we appeal to the irrational, unconscious drives of the masses? So, Here's what happens, and you can see this, right? Today, when you see a Coke advertisement, it's not about Coke giving you something that you need, it's about, what are the images? Young, sexy people on the beach, right? Without a care in the world. That's what Coke will give you. So if you feel like you're not young or sexy or free, then Coke is your answer. The same is true of, of cars, right? Maybe more more like more obviously you almost never in a car advertisement actually in any kind of advertisement hear about the thing that's being sold you get no information about the thing whether it's reliable whether it's got good i don't know mileage whether it's sti hand stitched in austria like you, you don't get that information you just get you so what do you get you get the guy uh at, in a tie, sitting at his desk, a boring desk job, but then he gets into his SUV and suddenly he's transported to this wilderness and there's this hot girl in the next seat and, and they're fishing, I don't know, they're surfing. That, 
that message is utterly illogical, right? There is no connection between his buying the car and him suddenly being in the wilderness without having to work anymore. Actually, it's counterintuitive, if you think about it. It's illogical because in order to buy the car, he's got to spend more time at the desk doing the paperwork. This is the trap, right? Edward Bernays never said this was logical. He just said it would make lots of money, and he was right. And so you get this massive shift from appealing to people's wants to appealing to their desires. And it was summed up beautifully. I'm so glad we have this quote. It's a guy named Paul Mazza. No one's ever heard of him. He worked for Lehman Brothers, I think, in the 1920s. No, maybe just post-war. He said this, We must shift people from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things even before the old has been entirely consumed. This was a novel idea to them. This is just life for us, right? Even before the old have been entirely consumed, we must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And from this moment, that vision has been realized to the point where we just think it's life. You never ask yourself, or very rarely ask yourself, do I need this thing? The question is, do I want this thing? It's not, is my phone completely busted and will never turn on again? It's, I kind of want the one with three cameras, right? Or I deeply want the one with three cameras. Because I saw the ad and the people with the one with three cameras are having the time of their lives. I'm stuck here with one camera. What am I going to do? Ah, right? So that, that is going on. And, I'm, and Freud is right. It's all under the surface. And it's powerfully shaping the way that we think about stuff. The result of all of this, of course, and if you just open your eyes, just, for, just let the light in for a second, all right? You can go back to blind consumerism in a minute, but just let the light in for a second, and you can see this leads to perpetual discontentment. And that's the goal. How do you keep the, the economics of the world turning rapidly? Perpetual discontentment is the answer. Get them to believe that they need more stuff all the time. And that in getting the new stuff, they will finally be satisfied. Now, our problem this morning is, remember our goal is to be more like Jesus, to think the way that he thinks, to live the way that he lives. Our problem is that it's almost impossible to think the way that he thinks or live the way that he lives while we're living in the midst of this consumeristic milieu. Those two things, it's like oil and water, they don't mix, and all of us are always going back to the non-Jesus version of things. It's the kingdom and the world, right? We are fully and firmly implanted in the world. Just do a little check on yourself here. How easy is it for you to point out the sins of, I don't know, Pornography, slavery, bestiality, pedophilia, all of those things come easy to us, but how blind are we to the sins of greed? That that fact just reveals something about us, right? 
We are so saturated with this way of seeing the world that it's very hard for us, even in the first place, to identify the problem, let alone pursue the solution. I'll tell you a parable to make this clear. You've all heard it probably. There's a couple of fish swimming down the road. A couple of fish swim down the road and they're approached by an older fish who swims past them and as he swims past them he says, uh, morning boys, uh, how's the water? And the two fish continue to swim past and then look at each other and go, the hell is water? That's a parable. I didn't say it was a good one, but that's a parable of the situation we find ourselves in. Of course the fish doesn't know water. All it's ever known is water. It has, doesn't identify what water is. It just is. And that's what we, the situation we find ourselves in this morning. I can jump around and try and think of clever ways of illuminating what is going on, but most of us, we're just so saturated with this way of viewing the world, it's going to be very difficult for us to see an alternative. This is the way that Edward Bernays described the situation we find ourselves in. Remember, this is the guy that came up with all of this. He says, we are governed, our minds are moulded, our tastes are formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. In almost every act of our daily lives, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who pull the wires which control the public mind. Now, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, but I think he's right. Some research from a while ago said that the average person sees 4,000 advertisements each day. Once you put in the Facebook and Instagram and the, the embedded advertising, in the, uh, that number has to be blown out of the water. Even if, it, even if the, uh, we go with the conservative 4,000, like, you guys are here, we're talking about this for 35 minutes, you're listening to 15 minutes of that, and then you're going to have four, come on, that was a joke. That then you're going to have 4,000 advertisements telling you the exact opposite of what I'm trying to say here. So this is what we're reckoning with. And right now, I just feel like maybe we should just give up. Like, like do you really want to know about the matrix? Do you really want to take that pill? Here's why I think... Here's why I think God wants to peel back the veil and show us, unmask the nefarious forces that are shaping our attitude to money and possessions. Why does he want to do that? Because he has... Oh, I'll tell you why. He wants to do that because he loves us. <laughs> yeah, it's because he loves us. He's a father who has adopted us. So we're his children, and he sees us slowly asphyxiating under the weight of a consumerist mentality which perpetually keeps us discontent. And I think he just kind of cries about it a little bit, <laughs> grieves over it. I think that's what led Jesus to say, 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You ask the question, who is weary and heavy laden? Who is he talking to? He's talking to every single person in this church this morning, including the kids. You see how many ads they're watching, appealing to their discontent? They're, they're, they're right there with us. And their future is even more bleak than ours, right? When it comes to this kind of thing. So he, he sees us and he wants to liberate us. This is, what, this is what I think when it comes to material, consumerism, money, possessions, I think the way God views us, and maybe he could just open our eyes to this just for a second, even for a glimpse. He just sees us as slaves, chained up slaves, spending all of our time and effort and energy working at things we don't care about just so that we can get money to buy things that we don't need. And that's your life, and then you die. Damn it. But how did we get here? We got here in Genesis 3. The lie of the serpent, the root of his deception, God is not good, he's holding something back from you. That introduced the scarcity mindset which has been leveraged by the propaganda of the great marketers of our age. Edward Bernays titled his magnum opus, Propaganda. Yeah, I think God loves us. And I think he knows that we are created for something so much more rich and beautiful and meaningful and satisfying than this junk. I'm out of time and I haven't, I haven't started the stuff that I wrote down. All right, here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. I'm just going to tee something up and we're just going to have to wait for next week to get to it, okay? I believe that as soon as we come to this issue of materialism, to money, possessions, I believe that the Jesus way and the way of the world are on an inexorable collision course. And I believe that if you are here this morning saying, I want to make all of life all about Jesus, I want to be an apprentice to him, I want to daily take up my cross and follow him, I believe that you will collide with the, 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 the prevailing culture around you. And so what I want to do, and maybe, maybe this is going to take more than a couple of weeks, but what I want to do is kind of, by God's grace, give us a picture of what that would look like. I want to give us some tools that we can employ, some practices to employ that will get us in a kind of position where, by God's grace, we can start living more like his son and less like enslaved masses. I believe that Christianity, and if you have a bit of punk in you like I do, you like this, Christianity is ultimately counter-cultural. If your Christianity just swims gently with the prevailing culture, you got the wrong Christianity, all right? You've, you've just got, Vic, I don't know, Victorian manners or something. You've just got conservative politics, whatever. Like, you, it's counter-culture. 
And what Jesus is calling us to, particularly when it comes to this issue, is something violently countercultural. Here's, here's what I think. I think that if you read the Gospels, you will see Jesus presenting you with two ways to live. When it comes to money, possessions, material things, you've got two ways to live. And it's really binary. Right? It's really black and white. Not everything is, this is. All right? He gives you a fork in the road. And then he takes one side of it and says, follow me. And you're left there having to make a decision. You've got two ways to live. You've got the way of the world and the way of the kingdom. All right? Here's a couple of things I wrote down for each, each, each one. And you just see whereabouts you are in terms of that fork. All right? In the world, the, 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 uh, the worldly way to live is characterized by a scarcity mindset. If you weren't here last week, listen back characterized by a scarcity mindset. In the kingdom, characterized by an abundance mindset. In the world, when it comes to identity, I am what I buy. In the kingdom, I am bought by him. Oh, that's good. All right. This is good. In the world, I am what I buy. All right? So, you look at the things that I buy and notice, oh, he's got this brand of underwear, right? It's a little piece of my identity, someone else's name on my jocks, all right? You see the badge on my car. You see the, the, uh, the amount of rooms in my house, like just you, everything. Everything is sold to us on that basis. Are you feeling shallow and empty and wayward and directionless? Answer, yes. Now, why? Because of the whole system, right? Perpetual discontentment. So, are you feeling those ways? Yes. All right, here's the answer. A mass, a catalogue, a mass, a portfolio of these items. And then you, even though you lack any sense of identity, we will have given you one, right? You are what you buy. In the kingdom, I am bought by him. That's my identity. Even if I have no jocks, or even if I've only got the known brand ones, which is probably worse, even if I have nothing, I have everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So I am not what I buy, I am bought by Him. That's my identity. Oh, we could keep going on. Um, in the world, okay, I accumulate what I've earned. I accumulate what I've earned. In the kingdom, I freely give what I've been freely given. In the world, I am a self-made man, right? I'm grinding out the 65 hours a week, and I pile it up. Accumulation of what I've earned in the kingdom, huh, I can freely give because everything I have has been freely given, including the ability to work 65 hours a week. God help me, right? In the world, my treasure is limited to this life. In the kingdom, I lay up treasures 
for eternity. So let me give you the, the, the binary choices from Jesus' mouth. I got one from Paul as well. And uh, then I'm, we're going to have to leave the rest for next time, all right? Here, just, just listen to this. Here's the way Jesus says it. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's an interesting thing about that. It's not a commandment. He doesn't say, you shall not serve God and money. It's not a commandment. It's just a statement of fact. You cannot. This is one of the things you need to understand. If you're going to do the whole way of Jesus thing, you need to understand he understands you better than anyone else ever has. You cannot serve both God and money. Binary. Or what Paul says, right, to the church in Ephesus. Timothy's the pastor there. And he says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, This is the way that he breaks it up, binary, fork in the road. Again, it comes down to contentment or consumerism. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If he thought that was a warning that was worth giving to the first century church in Ephesus, 2,000 years before Edward Bernays comes along and throws a grenade into the hearts of every Christian who has ever lived since, right? If he thinks it's important to say to those guys, then how much more to us, who with every breath, it seems, crave and crave and crave. And back to Jesus. Last one. Verse 22, Matthew 13. Talking about the word of God being sown into the hearts of people. There are some who tragically... Well, let me just read him. He says, Now the one sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Isn't that interesting? What is it, for some of us, what is it that will take everything that's been said this morning and before you get to the car park, choke it out so that it's worthless? What is it? For some of us, the worries of our life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And I would argue the deceitfulness of wealth is driving most of the worries that we have to begin with. So, here's, it's not where I thought we'd get to, but here's where we are. 
I think that the, the Bible, that God, remember, because he loves us and he sees us enslaved, I believe he's given us this, this fork in the road this morning. And next week, and for as long as it takes, my burden is by God's grace to show us, me included, right? To show us the pathway that follows Jesus out of the snares and traps and enslavement of materialism. And that's all I'm going to say till next time. Let's pray. Father, we just need, I just need to trust you that you have good things for us, that you're a Father who loves us, that our, out of your abundance you want to bless us. And I guess just week by week, we're going to need you to reveal more to us. But I pray that this would not just be a revelation of knowledge or a, I don't know, interesting insight into the modern history of marketing or something similarly pointless. Rather, Lord, please do a work in our hearts. We need our hearts to be changed. So, Lord, I pray uh, from now until this time next week, please be speaking to us, each one of us, not just whoever's up the front speaking, but really for each one of us. Please be doing a work on our hearts. Please be showing us stuff, revealing stuff to us. I pray that you would make us able to see the deception and lies and propaganda of the enemy in the day-to-day of life. Yeah, we trust you with this. I trust you. Um, Please lead us in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as I was praying for you guys, I thought this would be a fun experiment this week. All right, here's what you can do, especially if you've got kids. This would be fun. Whenever you come across an advertisement, I want you to look for the lie. Look for the false promise. Look for the propaganda. And then ask your kids to try and point it out to you as well.